So I came into shul this morning and it was raining. This may not sound particularly noteworthy to you. After all, you came into shul this morning and it was raining. But I came into shul this morning and it was raining inside. <laughs> the roof of our sanctuary going drip, 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 drip. Our sanctuary's ceiling overwhelmed by the storm outside. And I thought to myself, oi, do I relate? Earlier this week, I was washing dishes and listening to an ever more painful series of news reports when Mike came in to tell me about a podcast that he had just heard, a review of a new book by Arthur Brooks, who spoke here last Yom Kippur so powerfully, surprisingly in collaboration with Oprah Winfrey. So, I was intrigued. What's it called, I asked. Build the life you want, he said. And he explained that in the podcast they elaborated, build the life you want no matter what your circumstances. I nearly dropped the dish. Yeah, I said to him, I'd love to hear that. Build the life you want no matter the circumstances, the life that I want to build does not include a war in Israel or the catastrophe of Gaza, Hamas, or Houthis, does not include needing multiple guards just to come to shul. It does not include a leak in the roof. And yet, if there is one constant for all of us, it is that our world around us changes. And sometimes that means the roof leaks. How do we think about the fact that the only constant of life is change? Good, bad, and everything in between. There are, of course, the fact that it's shared by each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, regardless of beliefs or opinions or orientations. There are life changes. A new school, a new job, a new baby arrives, and suddenly we're this whole new thing, parents. Or it doesn't. And that, too, changes our trajectory. There are small but surprisingly impactful changes. The friend who moves away and our favorite lunch place is just not the same without them. Or a new year arrives and a wash in January 1st fueled inspiration. We go back to the old gym to find that our favorite fitness teacher has moved on. Or an illness strikes and we can't do what we did. And then there are those kinds of changes that author Bruce Feiler calls life quakes, the epic breaks that irrevocably change the path 
of our futures, whether we want them to or not. Rebecca, the incredible story that you shared this morning speaks to that truth. Your grandparents, born in Egypt, knowing Egypt, loving Egypt, settled in Egypt, until one day, everything changed. And as Jews, they were no longer welcome in Egypt. While not all of our changes will be so radically dislocating, we all find ourselves today in an age of dislocation. Assumptions that we had taken for granted of our own acceptance as Jews here in the U.S. and around the world, of safety, of who we are, of who our neighbors are, have suddenly shifted. And it's easy to become demoralized or wistful for yesterdays, for glory days, for the times when things were better, to feel that all the good is in those yesterdays, and that's now behind us. Our tradition deeply gets this. One of my favorite Talmudic tales is from the end of Masechet Sota. It starts with a litany of lament, successive losses of great teachers and leaders and the accompanying blow to a value that they each embodied. The Talmud says, when Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai died, wisdom ceased. When Rabbi Eliezer died, it was as if the Torah itself had been buried because he had memorized so much Torah. When Rabbi Yehoshua died, Counsel and deliberate thought ceased because he had the sharpest mind. When Ben Azai died, diligence ceased. When Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi died, humility and fear of wrongdoing ceased. Oi! And then there's this one guy, Rav Yosef, who in one of the great comedic comebacks of the ancient world pipes up and says, do not teach that humility has ceased. De'ika ani, there's still one here who's very humble. <laughs> Me. The laughter cuts the languishing. No, Rav Yosef insists, the losses, the transitions, the challenges and changes endured are not the end of the story. They're the foundation from which we can build. How? Not by looking back at what has been lost, but by stepping up to this moment, bringing each of us our own unique gift. De'ika ana is Aramaic for the Torah's well, more well-known phrase, hineni, here I am. It is a testimony to agency, to meeting change with courage and conviction that as much as has been lost, as long as we are here, there's the chance that a new chapter is already being written. 
so, what's so particularly captivating about Rav Yosef's quip is not just that he asserts this fact, but rather that in so asserting, it actually turns the tide. Whereas a full paragraph of lament preceded him immediately after, in what will be the final line of the book, Rav Nachman follows, declaring, do not teach that wrongdoing has ceased. Deika Anna. I'm here. For those of you old enough to remember the movie, this is the Talmud's I'm Spartacus moment. Any one of us can start a movement. You may think you are alone, but what you say and what you do, the tone you set, can change the world. Because of Rav Yosef and Rav Nachman, Sota ends not in despair, but in a hope-filled sense of defiance. Deika Ana is their rallying cry. Deika Ana is our rallying cry. There is no change then or now that cannot be made better with those two words. Deika Ana. I am here. I witnessed that in action with my own eyes here at Temple Emmanuel this past Thursday night. Tomorrow, we're going to mark an unbearable milestone. 100 days of hostages held by Hamas. The scars of October 7th and the war that has followed have changed Israel, have changed us indelibly. And it's easy to be overcome by despair. But on a cold, wintry Thursday night, two of our young preschool parents, Danielle Sally and Michelle Sandals, together with sisterhood, raised a resounding Deika Ana. Adelson Hall was almost glimmering with light. There were rows and rows and rows of tables. And at each place, bags with a beautiful bow brimming with flour and sugar, with water and salt. And in that place, 90 people came and sat to bake challah together in order to raise funds and to raise awareness for Bishvilam, a mental health care initiative to help heal not only physical wounds, but the impact of trauma. There's a beautiful custom that when you come together, when you make challah, you take challah. You remove a small portion of the bread that we, recall, that we prepare in order to recall not only our ancient temple, but to take a moment to connect with the ineffable. Long before social science was a thing, this mitzvah was intuited. It was created in order to help us to bring out something that Arthur Brooks teaches is one of the keys to navigate challenge in our time, inviting us 
to shift our focus from what we are enduring in order to think of and to do something for someone else. Our challah-making teacher, Galit, shared that she never used to take challah, but now, every week, as she prepares her loaves, she removes a little bit of the dough. She offers a prayer and commits to an action for the wounded, for the hostages, for our world. The world has changed. She has changed. But instead of despair, she joins the clarion call, De Ika Ana, together with these two young mothers who that night raised $6,500 and lifted countless spirits. And this morning, even before I noticed the drip, Richie was already rolling in a bucket to catch those drips and already planning for tomorrow's repair. From leaking roofs to the shifting sands of our world, the one constant of all our lives is change. When those changes come calling, may we meet them. Deika Ana, I am here. We rise.